As we stand together, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good gift of Jesus, your son. We thank you for the gift of your spirit present with us now. We thank you for your word. Lord, now as we look into your word, please help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. God has a way of breaking us down. He is kind to us in that way. He is merciful to us in that way. He loves his people too much to let them continue in darkness. He loves his people too much to let them continue in sin. Eventually, at some point, God will lovingly intervene. He will bring us to a tipping point, to a decision point. We might experience this as a valley. We might experience this as darkness. We might experience this as suffering. But over and above it all is the sovereign hand of God. And the sovereign hand of God sometimes breaks us down. God also has a way of drawing us to our knees. He is gracious to us in that way. He is compassionate to us in that way. He sees us in our wandering or in our rebellion or in our addiction, and he wants better for us. So eventually, at some point, God will lovingly intervene. He will say, in a sense, enough. He'll bring us to a point of surrender or of vulnerability. We might experience this as a crisis. We might experience this as some kind of earthquake, but over and above it all is the sovereign hand of God. And the sovereign hand of God sometimes draws us to our knees because he loves us, and because he knows our frailty, and because he remembers that we are dust, and he knows that only he can satisfy us. And he knows that far too often we don't know that. And he knows that we need to know that. Deep in our hearts, we long to know that. We long to be satisfied and we long to be free. And God knows that all of our hopes, all of our longings are only and ever met in Jesus. And so to bring us to Jesus, God will sometimes break us down. To bring us to Jesus, God will sometimes draw us to our knees and he'll say to us, turn to me. Remember, that's what it means to repent. That's what it means. Turn to me. Turn away from. Turn towards. And God loves his children too much to allow them to chase after what is bad for them. He loves us too much to allow us to remain lost or to remain dead in our sins. And so God will break us down. Sometimes God will draw us to our knees. And when we have ears to hear him, we'll hear him say to us, in love, repent, and then we'll hear him say, sing. Repent and sing. Those are the two words spoken over us this morning on the third Sunday of Advent by two prophets 
One prophet, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, and another prophet, Zephaniah, in Zephaniah chapter 3. And both prophets, John the Baptist and Zephaniah, have God's good news for us this morning. We can summarize it in two words, repent and sing. God's kindness leads to repentance. God's kindness leads to singing. And God's kindness, as we'll see, is most brightly on display in Jesus Christ, the one who comes into our darkness. He comes into our midst, and he sings over us. Now, I was born and raised, uh, like many of you, in the Anglican tradition. And this week, as I was preparing uh, this message, I was thinking back on some Advent memories I have as a kid. And it's funny what comes to mind. And the first one was a memory of when a member of our altar guild, altar guild in Central Florida named Helen Thomas, um, during communion one Sunday, was trying to get some supplies off the back wall that were kind of hidden behind the Christmas tree that we had on the platform. And she couldn't quite reach around. This is during communion. Loses her balance. And there goes Helen Thomas falling into the Christmas tree. I just had this memory of dear old Helen Thomas's feet kicking out from the Christmas tree. It's funny what comes to mind. The other Advent memory I have was from when my dad kind of botched a kid's message one Advent. He brought all the kids down and he asked them what they wanted for Christmas that year. And you got all the responses you would expect. You know, one kid wanted a, a Nintendo, some precious little girl wanted Barbie dolls, one wanted a puppy or a basketball hoop. And my dad, in an attempt to give these children an eternal view on things, reminded them that one day all of their possessions, and we could only assume this included puppies, would one day turn to dust. You can imagine that it didn't exactly thrill the children to hear this. And you can imagine that my brothers and I never let my dad live this down. <laughs> hey, Dad, remember that time you told all the kids that their toys were going to burn in the eternal fire? <laughs> Another memory I have growing up in the Anglican tradition is that we never sang Christmas carols in church until Christmas Eve, like we do here. We'd sing them everywhere else. You'd hear them everywhere else, in the mall, grocery store, on TV commercials, but you wouldn't sing them in church until Christmas Eve. And I learned as a kid that this was intentional. This was on purpose, because Advent is a distinct season from Christmas, Advent is preparing for Christmas. And oh, how much sweeter it is on Christmas when we sing, when we have taken time in Advent to prepare. Advent is a season of preparation and a season of repentance. Oh, how sweet it is then to get to Christmas Eve when we can sing. In our readings this morning from Luke and Zephaniah, they do more than simply illustrate kind of how Advent holds these two words in tension, repent and sing. They actually illustrate for us how the gospel works and where it points. How it works, it breaks us down. It draws us to our knees. It causes us to turn to Jesus, to run to Jesus, which then causes us to sing. And then where it points. It points us to a Savior who is more wonderful, more glorious, more kind, more gracious than we could ever imagine. And just like Advent and Christmas are distinct seasons, and they always go in that order, Advent and then Christmas, repent and sing are two very different words, and they go in that order, 
and they are both good news. Turn with me first to Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 20. We'll read the second half here of the message of John the Baptist that we started looking at last week. And as we look at our gospel reading, we see clearly that the main word for us here in this text is the word repent. John starts nice and easy here. Verse 7. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to say in the next six verses how repentance actually works. He's saying in a sense it's not rocket science. On a macro level, don't trust in your genealogy. Don't trust that you're good enough. It's only saved by, you're only saved by God's grace. And then he interacts with the crowds and the soldiers and the tax collectors saying, what should we do? And he's saying, you just turn from darkness to light. John communicates in this text for us this morning two kinds of severities. Two kinds of severities. The first is how severe is God's judgment on sin? Look with me at verse 9. John the Baptist is speaking. Even now, even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember that John the Baptist is a prophet. He is God's mouthpiece. God could have chosen to thunder this message directly from heaven, but throughout Scripture, God chooses people to thunder his message for him. And John thunders the word repent because God's judgment is so sure, so soon, so severe that the image that God paints for us through John the Baptist is like an axe laid to the root of the trees. And we skip to verse 17. He describes God's, the severity of God's judgment on sin this way. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In both illustrations, the instrument of God's judgment, whether it's the axe or the winnowing fork, are in God's hands. Time is short. God is patient. But God will execute justice. So repent. John communicates to us first how severe is God's judgment on sin, but second, how severe is God's mercy that even though his judgment is soon and sure, God extends to us the invitation to repent. God extends to us his mercy and says, turn to Christ. God extends to us his mercy. It's interesting how Luke, the author of this book, categorizes the kind of message John the Baptist is preaching. You or I might think, wow, John, the Baptist, this is some hellfire and brimstone you got going here. But look how Luke categorizes it in verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached what? Good news to the people. Good news. Why is it good news when we hear the word repent? Because it's in this invitation to repent that God extends his mercy, his offer of forgiveness, his saving hand. God will break you down. 
God will draw you to your knees and he'll say to you in love, turn to me. Now God doesn't break you down just to break you down. He breaks you down to break into your heart. And God doesn't draw you to your knees to make you small. God draws you to your knees to set you free. And John is preaching repentance, which means he's preaching freedom. And therefore, John is preaching good news. Luke writes, he preached good news to the people. We read Luke chapter 3, and we hear God say to us in love, repent. And we read Zephaniah chapter 3, and we hear God say in love to us, sing. Look with me now at Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. And if you have a hard time finding that book, it's just four books away from the end of the Old Testament. And in the first two chapters of Zephaniah, it's a short book. Zephaniah just has three chapters. And in the first two chapters, Zephaniah is doing something very similar to what John the Baptist would do. Chapters 1 and 2 of Zephaniah, he's preaching God's judgment on sin. And then we arrive at chapter 3, and we see how severe is God's mercy when we arrive in verse 14, and we read, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Our God is a God who turns death into life, mourning into dancing, darkness into light, captivity into freedom, shame into testimonies, brokenness into healing, graves into gardens, bones into armies, blindness into sight, doubters into believers, murderers into apostles. He turns water into wine, and he turns repentance into singing. And it's all by his grace, all through Jesus. He rescues us from judgment. He bends down to save us, and he kindly leads us to repentance. He looks us in the eye, and he says, sing. Rejoice, exalt with all your heart. Why should we sing? Because of verse 15, for starters, he's taken away your judgments. He's cleared away your enemies. And the king of Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God, is in your midst. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Repent and sing. Two very good words, pronouncing very good news. I was having lunch recently with a member of the congregation, and somehow the topic of the conversation turned to uh, public speaking. And he shared with me his number one tip that he gives to public speakers, and he said it's this, to be more self-deprecating. So here it goes. <clears throat> I am terrible at fixing things. I am actually very terrible at fixing things. If something breaks in my house and I try to fix it, there's a good chance I'm going to break it about 10 times worse than it was before and cause the repair to be 10 times more expensive than it would have been if I had tried not to fix it and it had just admitted my lack of skill in the first place. So a few months ago, I was hanging a, a happy birthday banner from some hanging lights 
in our kitchen. And a few days after, I was trying to take the banner down and untying it. And I was untying it from one of the, the things that you know, sticks down from the ceiling. And the, the light came loose from the ceiling. And so I did what any homeowner would do, and I jiggled it some more. <laughs> what do you know? That doesn't magically make the drywall harden around the base of the light. Praise God for Hugo Blondell who came to my rescue. I was in over my head. I needed a savior. And his name was Hugo. <laughs> the message of the Bible can be summed up like this. We are in over our heads. We need a savior. And his name is is Jesus. And because of Jesus, Zephaniah 3.15 becomes the banner that hangs over our lives. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Now we all need to hear this reminder every time this time of year. So here it goes. Don't get distracted by all the festivities and all the lights and all the parties and the ridiculously delicious chocolate peppermint cookies at Trader Joe's. <laughs> Don't get distracted. This is all about Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him, the one who came into our darkness, the one who came into our midst, the one who has taken the judgments against us away. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He comes into our midst. He comes down into a filthy, smelly stable in Bethlehem. And he comes into our hearts, our filthy, sometimes smelly hearts. To what end? He doesn't come to terrify. He doesn't come to smite he doesn't come to commandeer. He comes to save. This is why repentance leads to singing. Because our God saves. He redeems. He rescues. He comes into our brokenness. He takes away the judgments against us by bearing them upon himself on the cross. And he saves. Another way Zephaniah wants us to see the saving impulse of God is by using the word gather three more times in the remaining verses. Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn. Verse 19, I will save the lame and gather the outcast. Verse 20, at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. It's worth it to let God break you or to break a church. It's worth it to let God draw you to your knees because this is what lies on the other side of repentance. It's God himself. It's the light of Jesus Christ himself which lies on the other side of repentance. And God can't help but do what God does because it's who he is. He saves because he's a savior. He redeems because he's a redeemer. He gathers because he's a gatherer. Everything in these verses that God is doing 
It's all his doing. We have no role to play in these verses other than letting God do what God does. We repent, we submit, we cry help, and God goes to work. God says in these verses, I will gather, I will deal, I will save, I will change, I will bring you in, I will gather, I will make, I will restore. Remember earlier, I said that our two readings from Luke and Zephaniah show us first how the gospel works, breaks us down, draws us to our knees, points us to Jesus. Second, these readings show us where the gospel points to a savior who is more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And there is perhaps no greater image to hold in our hearts to drive that home than the image in Zephaniah 3.17 of a God who sings over us. Our God sings over us. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. My brothers and I were blessed to have a dad who sang over us. When we were fussy babies, he'd pick us up and sing John Wimber's spirit song over us. You may not have had an earthly father who sings over you, but you do have a heavenly father who sings over you. He rejoices over you. He exalts over you. So what's amazing then is that as God breaks us down, as he draws us to our knees, he not only says, repent, turn to me, but then he says, sing, and I'm already singing. At every step of the process of the salvation of his people, the salvation of our souls, God takes the initiative. And the way God works in our hearts is the same way he worked on a dark night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago when there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good News of great joy that will be for all the people. Out of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, God appeared in the middle of the night. And what did the shepherds do when they heard this good news? They stopped what they were doing and they went where Jesus was. Because God loves his children so much, he will come to us in the middle of our night. And he'll announce good news over us in our response to stop what we're doing and go where Jesus is. And the last we hear of the shepherds, they're glorifying and praising God. They're singing to the God who broke through in the middle of the night and sang over them. Now, I have lost count of the number of times I've heard people say, and I've said it myself, Truro is such a singing Church, true is such a singing church. Could it be that God is teaching us that to be a singing church, we must also be a repenting church? The greatest privilege I have in my job is the one-on-one conversations I have with people. Over coffee, 
here at the church, when they recount to me times in their lives when God broke them down and God drew them to their knees. And in the moment, it wasn't pleasant. In the moment, it was dark. But in retrospect, looking back, because God is a redeemer, because God is a savior, we look back on those times when we crash into the wall of God with gratefulness, not for the sickness or the disease or the sin that made those times necessary, but for a redeeming God, a saving God, who draws us closer to Jesus through those times. Repent and sing. God speaks his two words over us. His first word, repent. And his final word over us, the final word of his grace, the final word of his gospel, sing. God speaks his words of good news over us. He sings his words of good news over us. And then on Christmas morning, he sends the word of good news. Jesus, the word made flesh into our midst, into our darkness into our hearts, into our churches, into our homes to save. And so our prayer is the prayer of Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray together. Oh, let the Son of God enfold us with his spirit and his love. Let him fill our hearts and satisfy our souls. Oh, let him have the things that hold us and his spirit like a dove will descend upon our lives and make us whole. Oh, come and sing this song with gladness as your hearts are filled with joy. Lift your hands in sweet surrender to his name. Oh, give him all your tears of sadness. Give him all your years of pain. And you'll enter into life in Jesus' name. Jesus, oh Jesus, come and fill your lambs. Come light our hearts. Amen.